the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Well, we're up to part 51 in this revived series. Oh, that first means that. Originally introduced in 2022, airing from January through September with 31 programs. But in May of this year, 2023, by popular demand, we brought back this series. The original 31 archived sessions, together with this year's sessions, can be found at faithtalk1360.com. Search for local program podcasts. Friends, as we've been scrutinizing these scriptures, my hope is that we are seeing the value of being detectives of the divine, putting on our detective's cap, pulling out our spiritual magnifying glass, and lacing up our biblical sandals is now standard operating procedure. Our detective's gear protects us from cavalierly and authoritatively blurting out with what we suppose a verse or portion of scripture means. Friends, it's sad that many times we just don't realize how often we've imposed a personal or modern-day perspective on the Bible verses we read. I've often wondered why we so easily misuse Scripture. And Bible scholars are actually asked this question. Their reply, declining biblical literacy, ouch. Questionable Bible translations and preachers who don't do their homework, ooh, that stings. Now, I believe sincere Christians genuinely want to know what Bible verses mean, but often misstate the true meanings because they often focus on what they expect or want to find in the verses they read. Friends, we all too often crave our spiritual quick fix, don't we? You know, being content to cram in that biblical morsel of bread for the day so we don't have to interrupt our own lives. But friends, shouldn't God's word have first place in our lives? Is a breadcrumb really sufficient? What's happened to our drive to ensure we're treating the scriptures justly? What's happened to our respect for the Holy Spirit? Isn't he the author and inspirer of our Bible? 
have worldly interests squeezed out devoting some extra time to investigate the context or background of the Bible texts we read? Time well invested would certainly protect us from so easily and quickly misusing Scripture. Friends, I'll admit I'm mystified. It doesn't seem to bother us that we've now pointed out some 50 Bible verses we've either trivialized or we've misread, misjudged, misconstrued, then misinterpreted and subsequently misapplied. So please heed my appeal. How about we rededicate ourselves to more faithfully and more carefully investigate Bible verses we supposed meant one thing because we've been discovering, haven't we, that these verses mean something quite different. And friends, please realize I take no pleasure in pointing a spiritual spotlight at or get any glee from seriously re-examining Bible verses that are lamentably misinterpreted by some of us pastors, teachers, and preachers. And you know why, don't you? Because the Bible has its own story to tell us. It's crying out, screaming out to tell us its story. But what do we pastors, teachers, and preachers, and even average Christians do? We force or manipulate the Bible to tell our story. Shame on us. Well, today our scripture under scrutiny is one of four gospel accounts, one that appears in each gospel with slightly different contexts. Our jumping off point will be Matthew 10, 37 through 39. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Today's focus will be Jesus' closing phrase, a somewhat peculiar phrase, if I may say, one lesser-known dynamic translation which makes a valiant attempt to bring forth this original thought into English, the Good News translation, may help a little with verse 39. Those who try to gain their own life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake will gain it. I'm calling today's session 51, Dead Man Walking. And friends, I'm not leaving out the ladies here. My title is taken from that 1995 American crime drama film. Our session is for women, too. And here's a perfect place to say that to properly interpret what Jesus is saying here, we'll need to take a little extra time to define two key terms that are not easily carried over from the Greek New Testament into English. These terms are life and find. For starters, there are three words for life in the Greek language, each used in the New Testament, bios, zoe, and suke. Friends, it's likely the more familiar of the three is bios. It's where we get our English word biology and other words that have the prefix bio. It primarily means physical life, in other words, biological life. The last of our three terms is suke. And if you saw it spelled out, the English would be P-S-Y-C-H-E, or psych, even psyche. It's where we get our English words psychology, psychiatry, and other words with the prefix psych. If you've ever been a psychology student, you've probably said, I've got to study for a psych exam. Finally, I'm guessing the second and least known of our three terms is Zoe, spelled Z-O-E. You might even know someone with the name Zoe, or have a daughter or granddaughter named Zoe. I had an aunt named Zoe. 
You may even recall the actress Zoe Deschanel. Well, friends, in each occurrence of our scripture under scrutiny, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it, is our word suke. And although it can mean life in general, it's most often used in the New Testament for our soul, the seat of our emotions, best understood as soul life, or our soulical life, so to speak. For the New Testament Christians, and especially those who became the writers of the New Testament, this soul life represented the baser self, or the lower self, the self ruled by our humanness, especially our emotions. It signifies our humanness minus the Holy Spirit. For first century believers, it meant our fallen nature that resists the Holy Spirit. We could even call it carnal behavior or the carnal self. And this is the self that is transformed by our salvation experience and our growth or maturity in Christ empowers us to live above this lower self. Power and victory through the Holy Spirit now living in us. And before we unpack Matthew 1039, let's hear the other occurrences. First, a parallel passage in Matthew 16, then those in Mark, Luke, and John. This way, the individual contexts inform our final interpretation. Let's let Scripture interpret Scripture properly. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 say, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life the suke life, will lose it. But whoever loses their life, again, suke life, for me will find it. What good will it be for you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? Now Mark eight thirty four through 38. Then he, Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, their suke life, will lose it. But whoever loses their life, their suke life, for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it if you gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? If any one of you are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, notice those additional talking points in Mark's account. Now let's read Luke nine twenty-two through 26. And he, Jesus, said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. I'll pause here a moment, friends. Only a handful of English translations have to life. These words don't appear in the Greek New Testament, but the context and many other scriptures drive us to conclude Jesus meant that he'd be raised from the dead and have resurrection life. The text continues, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, suke, will lose it. But whoever loses their life, suke, for me, will save it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit your very self? And friends, the Greek word Luke uses for forfeit actually means destroy or perish. 
Jesus goes on, If any one of you are ashamed of me in my words, and the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Did you catch that little addition? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the glory of the Father? The New Testament Greek actually reads, The glory of himself and the glory of the Father. Hmm... Well, lastly, let's read John twelve twenty three through 26, where Jesus replies to Philip and Andrew after some Greeks had inquired of them to see Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who love their life, suke, will lose it, while those who hate their life, suke, in this world, will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Some interesting additions here, huh, friends? I hope we're seeing that it pays great dividends to consult the whole counsel of God. Here it happens to be all four Gospels, since each Gospel writer has something to contribute. Friends, only in John's account does he throw Zoe into the mix. Seen in verse 25 in the phrase, Those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Here it's Zoe, and John reinforces Zoe with another word meaning eternal, so we get the phrase eternal life. New Testament writers, from a spiritual point of view, contrast Zoe with bios, where bios signifies physical life, biological life, Zoe signifies the higher life, eternal life, right here, right now. And whereas suke signifies the lower or baser life in the minds of the disciples and New Testament writers, Zoe stands in contrast and signifies the higher life, true spiritual life generated by the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, in following Jesus, we have to make a choice, don't we? The choice boils down to either living the suke life, the lower life, or living the Zoe life, the higher life. And if we distill Jesus' teaching represented by the four gospel accounts down to its essence, this is the choice Jesus is telling us we must make, and the life we will ultimately lose if we decide to go the route of the worldly life versus the route of the heavenly life. So I'll propose to you, friends, that these scripture portions make it abundantly clear that Jesus, at a minimum, is doing two things. First, he's elaborating on one of the great paradoxes of the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is a topsy-turvy kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. And as such, in the kingdom of God, loss is gain. Well, let's pause here, friends. If you just tuned in, you're listening to A Word from the Word with me, your host, Pastor Tom. I value you as listeners to A Word from the Word, which is listener-funded. Your financial partnership is vital to keep this program on the air, which also disciples Christians without a church home and those of you who may have been hurt or wounded by the institutional church. Please join forces with me in A Word from the Word and email me for support 
details at a word from the word at minister.com. We're living in challenging financial times and Christian ministries are not immune. A word from the word is still seeking to become fully funded and monthly supporters are needed. We'll repeat these details at the end of the program. Now, friends, here's a good place to unpack our second term, find. Matthew uses find in both accounts. It means learning or discovering after searching to get obtained by examining or scrutinizing for yourself. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Mark and Luke have save. This is actually the standard word the disciples and writers of the New Testament use for salvation. It carries the meanings being delivered, rescued from destruction, and being brought into divine safety. The Old Testament equivalent is a military term that also means being delivered, rescued, liberated, or gaining victory over an enemy's army. This was the word used by Moses in Exodus 14, right before the Red Sea crossing. And lastly, John used the word keep. Matthew says find it, Mark and Luke say save it, and John says keep it. John also uses a military term, a verb which has the special meanings of guarding, keeping watch over, unbroken vigilance, protecting and keeping from being snatched away. A little while ago, I said that Jesus was doing two things. First, he elaborated on the paradox of the kingdom of God. And now, second, Jesus uses a play on words, life for life. This is the great exchange of the kingdom of God. As Christ followers, we must exchange one life for another life. And we do this with the cross. One life must die so the other life can live. By now you already know, don't you, which life must die so that the other life can live? The suke life must die so the zoe life can live. Let's put practical skin and bones on this statement. The worldly or carnally driven life must die so the Holy Spirit driven life can live. Remember this. The worldly or carnally driven life must die so the Holy Spirit driven life can live. Friends, this is what discipleship is all about. You see, we must contend with the big question. Do I trust God enough to give him control of my life? Remember that old saying popularized on bumper stickers? God is my co-pilot? Well, what's he doing there, friends? If God is your co-pilot, it's time to exchange seats. It's time to live the exchanged life, as I said earlier. There's a big difference between God being our advisor and God being our Lord. When Jesus is our advisor, we can get his opinion, but still choose if or when we want to take it. When Jesus is just our advisor, we can choose to pursue whatever we want to do rather than what he wants. Let's admit it, friends. Aren't there times when we just don't like the direction Jesus is leading us? So we simply ignore his counsel. But if Jesus is truly Lord, and we've so bastardized this word Lord, that it's pretty much valueless. Our Western Gentile culture is so far removed from living under a king or a lord that its meaning has virtually been lost. The Apostle Jude, in his letter, refers to Jesus 
Jesus Christ as our only despot. Do we ever stop and think of this word, despot? After all, it means a ruler with absolute power and authority. The original Greek word in Jude verse 4 means master. It parallels the name Mary gave Jesus when she called him Rabboni. Only two English translations tip us off to the deeper meaning of Rabboni. Yes, it does mean my teacher, but at the heart of this word is my master. You see, teacher and master were wedded terms back in the first century. This was a title of honor in Jewish schools and continues to this day. At its root, it means my chief or great master, sometimes simply great one. Hockey fans may recall Wayne Gretzky, who was nicknamed the Great One. Interestingly enough, the Jewish people even had three forms of this word. Rab indicated the lowest degree of honor. Rabbi, with the first person suffix, means my master with higher dignity. And the most honored of all, meaning my great master, was Mary's word Rabboni. Honestly, I don't think I ever heard a Christian say, Jesus is my chief and great master, and show this by living it out. This particular form, Rabboni, was addressed to Jesus only by blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10.51 and Mary in John 20.16. Friends, this may give a whole new meaning to Jesus admonishing his disciples in Matthew 23.8 to not be called Rabbi, for he said to them that they only have one master, him as their Messiah and teacher. You see, it's sad to realize that for many of us, cross-bearing simply refers to those many irritations in life we endure. Shame on us! I'm sure either you've said this or heard someone say, it's my cross to bear. Martin Luther said that all Christians must be crucian. In Latin, it roughly translates to of the cross. With the advent of jewelry, many of us wear crosses around our necks. We don't realize that a modern-day equivalent would be an electric chair. <laughs> I wonder what that would be like, wearing an electric chair on a chain around my neck. With the exception of John, the other three Gospels say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Yet John doesn't let us off the hook, brothers and sisters. In John twelve twenty three, Jesus begins, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus was clear about his impending death by crucifixion, and this crucifixion and death motif was carried on by his disciples and the writers of the New Testament. Even Paul! Listen to some of Paul's words in Romans 6. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. 
Friends, isn't it high time we stop hiding behind Romans 7 and start living and applying Romans 6 and 8 in our lives? How about these words of Paul in Galatians 2.20? I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, let's read between the lines in Galatians 2. The I that no longer lives is the suke life, and the life I now live in the body is the zoe life. Let's also read between the lines in Romans 6. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. This live a new life means live the zoe life. Friends, the sensible way to understand and interpret Jesus' words in these three portions we unpacked would be, whoever lives for the suke life now will lose their earthly life. But whoever discards this present earthly mindset for Jesus' sake will find, save, and keep their zoe life, their eternal life. What does it profit if we gain the whole world and in the end lose our very soul? Even Jesus had the opportunity to gain the whole world, didn't he? Remember his run-in with Satan in the wilderness? Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, if only he would bow down and worship him. You see, Satan wanted Jesus to avoid the walk of death. But Jesus knew his destiny to walk down death road to sacrifice his life and shed his blood for our salvation. If Jesus walked down death row, so must we. You see, friends, in order to do this, Jesus had to be an other-centered person, meaning he had to center his life and mission on saving us. So for us, friends, denying self actually means living as an other-centered Christian. And to do this, we must walk in Jesus' steps and follow him, even to the cross. So are we dead men walking and dead women walking? We each must answer this question for ourselves. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of today's program, and as promised, we'll close with an email where you may inquire about helping fund a Word from the Word, which is a listener-funded program. I love coming alongside you with Out of Church Home or you who've been hurt or wounded by the institutional church, podcasts can be accessed at faithtalk1360.com, plus Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And thanks to my friends and partners at christianbody.net, a word from the word is broadcast in over 70 countries. If these teachings are motivating you to grow and study God's word more carefully, please invest in the mission of a word from the word. During these economically and financially challenging times, ministries are not immune. So won't you consider helping? A word from the word is still seeking to become fully funded. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.